Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Within the sacred pages of the Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling, there's a tale of a creature named Riki Tiki Tavi, a mongoose with fearsome red eyes who fights a venomous snake to the death. The mongoose is described as having, quote, ivory fangs and eyeballs of flame. The snake it battles has a strike so fast that no eye can follow its motion. The other animals in the story lament the deadly rivalry between the two predators. Quote, those who kill snakes get killed by snakes. In Rudyard Kipling's tale, it is the mongoose who prevails, at least for the day. Our story today is about a very different snake and mongoose pairing. Two drag racers born as Don Prudhomme and Tom McEwen. Like Kipling's Mongoose and Snake, their battles were worthy of song, or at least a podcast episode, regularly reaching 200 miles per hour in a matter of seconds. How did two men with humble beginnings become Snake and Mongoose? Not only household names, but a household rivalry. To tell you, we'll need twin origin stories. Stories that one day pit the two racers against each other on the quarter mile drag strip. Today on Pass Gas, the story of two boundary-breaking racers who are also lifelong friends as well as rivals who were defined in their opposition to each other, but who individually brought the sport of drag racing into the mainstream like never before or since. Who were Don Prudhomme and Tom McEwen, the men who had become known as Snake and Mongoose? Both their lives were marked by triumph and tragedy. What obstacles did they face in life and in racing? Forget Timon and Pumbaa, this is Timon versus Cobra. A natural entertainer versus a steely-eyed introvert, this is Snake versus Mongoose. Fast Gas Podcast, it's about cars, it's not about ports. Wait, Timon is a mongoose? Well, he's a he's meerkat. He's a meerkat, yeah. but he's kind of shaped the same. But he just doesn't have the ivory fangs or the yeah. eyes of fire. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, a freaking snake would destroy Timon. Yeah, yep. Timon's like a theater kid. 
<laughs> yeah. He's just going to get destroyed. <laughs> you know, Meerkats famously started on the Lion King. Yeah, Meerkats, uh, natural predators are snakes who primarily go after the young hiding in the uh, their burrows and, of course, eagles above that will snatch them from the sky. Welcome back to Pass Gas, everyone. I am Nolan Sykes, one of your hosts, joined, as always, by the two other hosts of this program. <laughs> we got James yeah. Pumphrey. You hear him giggling there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Take that, take that, take that. Okay. Uh, and Joe Weber. <laughs> Truly fired up. Fired up. Uh, yeah, today we're talking about some vintage drag racing a uh, very common theme at Thanksgiving for my family, at least. And we'll reveal why this story is so close to me later on in this episode. Um, yeah. Dang, I don't okay. know if you guys know anything about this story. James, you you watched a film. Yeah, I watched what I think is like the equivalent of like a Lifetime movie about these two guys. So I get like some of the context. It's pretty cool. Uh, good story. Some sad parts. There's one pretty sad part. Yeah. Uh oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is also called Snake versus Mongoose. It came out a couple years ago. It was a pretty big deal in the drag racing community, at least. Not a lot of movies made about the sport. Uh, kind of hard to make going fast in a straight line super compelling. The way they did it was kind of interesting, though. They would, like, cut between the dudes in the inside of the car and then... Uh, use a lot of like archival footage like there's a ton oh, of archival footage like there's there's footage of almost every race in the movie oh very which cool is, which is kind of cool that mm -hmm. is awesome i uh so I, I meant if, to watch it i so, so in between the like kind of like cringy acting moments i did get to see a whole lot of 60s and 70s uh funny cars which that's <laughs> cool are pretty cool looking yes uh they I, are so I, before we start can we can we i've never seen a mongoose in my mind, it looks like a possum. So you, no, no, right? no, no, it's skinnier. Yeah, really, like yeah. a weasel. Like a weasel. Yeah, a lot like a weasel, like a ferret. Cool. Well, uh, Joe, do you need any more um, biology lessons? Okay, so I've never seen a snake before. If you guys could describe <laughs> one, it's like a lizard without legs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, like a possum. Yeah, there is actually a lizard without legs. Oh, you mean there? like a basilisk? <laughs> it is weird that Tom McEwen shows Mongoose a very specific animal, but then Dom Perdome just is snake. Well, because Dom Perdome didn't just decide out of nowhere that he's going to be called this thing. Like, he got a nickname in the right way. Uh -huh. Like, someone else awarded it with him because yeah. it reflected uh, a part of his personality uh -huh. or his practices. Whereas, like, uh, <laughs> and Tom McEwen was like, I'm going to be that guy's rival. So I'm going to make up a nickname for myself that makes sense to be that guy's rival because I want to market that guy's success and make money off of that guy. Okay. Well, snakes are not the fastest animal on earth. Why do all racers choose snakes? Yeah. Why wouldn't you call yourself the cheetah? Yeah. Or the peregrine. Because Falcon. cheetah implies that you're a cheater. Oh, yeah. Chester cheater. Really is a very <laughs> unfaithful guy, notoriously the most unfaithful of all the snack mascots, or as I like to call them, snack snack scots. I think Tony the Tiger is probably up there too. He, you know, he messes oh, around. Yeah. Tony the Tiger is a scumbag. Tony the Tiger <laughs> reminds me of Homelander from The Boys. If you guys have seen oh, that, yeah, for you sure. Know? It's great. You're right, Tony. <laughs> 
Toff protest too much, brah. <laughs> anyway, um, I think without further ado, let's uh, get into the story, yeah? Yeah. There used to be so many freaking racetracks. Now there's barely any. Yep. Famously, Lions Drag Strip down there in Long Beach. Like, uh, I could go to that one pretty easy. Yep. No longer there. Actually, watching that movie and like kind of doing some research into these guys had me looking at pro stock uh, muscle cars on, on the internet. Oh, yeah. I mean, those were the ones that would like do like the win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Those were the cars that like you could actually buy were those real nowadays pro stock cars are, you know, tube fraff, tube fraffy, tube chassis cars with fiberglass <laughs> tube, bodies, tube fraffy, <laughs> tube, fraffy tube chassis, um, you know, all that. And uh, there's not really pro stock anymore, um, unfortunately. Yeah, I want, I want like a like a Chevy 2 with like tubbed rear end, big old tires. One of our friends out there at Famoso Raceway has that exact car, what you're talking about. Chevy 2 Nova with tubbed rear end. Uh, very, very cool car. Very cool car. Tell anyway. HMU when he wants to get rid of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The Lions Drag Strip of Long Beach, California in the 1960s on a humid summer Saturday night. It was little more than a grandstand and a stretch of pavement by the airport. But if you love drag racing, it was the place to be. The salty ocean air filled with smoke as the night wore on. The smell of burnt fuel and rubber mixed with the 150 decibel blasts of top fuel engines. After the sun went down, the cars became even more monstrous. They seemed alive, their V8 nostrils flaring, growling, roaring, and venting clouds of smoke demanding to be unleashed. Was this the spot that... Was this... Was the lion... Oh my God. <laughs> was the lion's drag strip the one that Mickey Thompson bought? Uh, I'm not or sure. Or did he Joe. just like bring it back from the dead? That's very possible. There's always there's uh, lions it, because it was such a hub of uh, SoCal drag racing back then. Like it, it, it's like a very legendary spot in the community still. And uh, I mean, it's not coming back now, but like that would not surprise me if Mickey Thompson wanted to bring it back at some point. No, I remember that from the the Mickey Thompson podcast. He like either bought it or like reinvigorated it somehow yeah with his with his fire spitting <laughs> uh i feel like all like racetracks go through that phase like they're owned by somebody then like they don't do well and then either a big company like a conglomerate buys it and drives it into the ground or like mm -hmm. a racer or a group of racers they're like we can't let the clubhouse go so they all buy it then they run it into the ground it's very much like clubs like like music venues or clubs here in LA, you know, certain spots have like these very, you know, storied pasts, but you know, times change, trends change. The mainstream doesn't maybe, or like, you know, people, the acts that go there aren't the acts that people want to see anymore necessarily. So they yeah, like, kind have of, have you ever yeah. been to the whiskey? I, I, I have been to the whiskey eight. many times. I like uh, the whiskey though. Uh, whiskey, go, go. Example. the Viper uh, room. It's Viper. Garbage. That's a great example. What's the one that Lemmy was always at? Oh, that was uh, the Rainbow Room. Rainbow oh. Room. That's still, I don't. I mean, people don't go there. At least it's there, bigger. But. Like the Viper Club was like a basement show in high school. Like it was just one room, and it was like, eh, gross. Yeah, I remember hey, there kid. was. Hey kid, hey kid, you want to see a basement show? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, what, is that, what does that entail? What does that mean? See, I was right. In 1954, Mickey Thompson created Lions Club drag, drag strip. Oh, he created it? Yeah. In 1954. Said, wow. I quote, I built and ran Lions Drag Strip for eight years. <laughs> Damn. Okay. That's a, that's a very like good but boring quote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it gave us exactly what we needed. Not a lot of flair. <laughs> well, speaking of lions, uh, the strip itself was strictly utilitarian. It was a few garden hoses laid around so that racers could uh, fill their engine blocks with water. I got to cool them down somehow. The narrow tract of dirt and a concrete barrier was all that separated the crowd from the track. Not the safest layout. Um, especially when you consider these cars back then. Oh, my God. The skyline itself was industrial, dotted with warehouses and factories. By the 60s, a second generation of drag racers had entered the scene at Lions. Their predecessors were the old, were old school. Uh, they were drivers who largely got their start racing on the dry lake beds of the western states like Bonneville and El Mirage. Perhaps best personified by the already legendary and uh, already mentioned Mickey Thompson. In the 60s, the new guys drove top fuel dragsters, increasingly powerful vehicles way faster than any typical car at the time. Uh, and they were top fuel because they were powered by nitromethane, which is a Nitro. extremely <laughs> volatile uh, uh, fuel, which carries four oxygen molecules with it um, instead of the two that uh, oxygen brings with it. So it, it's just extreme. It, it, it explodes uh, in the cylinder extremely aggressively. If you guys have ever been to, if you guys have never been to a top fuel event at a drag strip, even if you don't like drag racing, you must go to one sometime in your life. James, you can attest to it. Uh, yeah. I've been to one uh, top fuel drag event. And like when I told people I was going, they all said what Nolan just said. There's like, you have no idea how loud they are. It's going to be like the loudest thing you've ever heard. And I'm like, okay, cool. And they're like, the fuel is crazy. And I'm like, okay, like I've done some crazy stuff. I moved to Los Angeles with like $400 when I was 19. And uh, it's insane. It shakes your bones. It, <laughs> it literally shakes your bones. It literally shakes your bones and like makes you cry. Yeah. Because the gas itself, when it go goes through the engine, the exhaust, it is literally tear gas. I, 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 you know, a few years ago, I used to work on a nostalgia funny car, which is basically one of these cars that we'll be talking about today. Same engines, same technology on the car, just safer. Um, and if you're not careful and you stand like the, the, the exhaust cloud can kind of envelop you and it'll take the oxygen out of the air. Uh, you will gag. You will cry. Ugh. I almost threw up. <laughs> I literally almost threw up because like I was in the in the plume for too long. It's tear gas. Don't stay it, in the plume for too long. Don't stay in that plume, dude. The reason yeah, I learned reason that I, at the vape convention. <laughs> the reason I went was to make a video called Funny Guy versus Funny Car. Yeah. Uh, that which never aired. We might put it up on Donut Underground or something. Um, Pretty good. But like I raced uh, a funny car on foot. <laughs> And you almost we had him like, too. Yeah, we were like, wait, it's very funny. And we were like waiting around all day uh, to like do it. And uh, finally, it was like one more pass before, you know, like he was doing one more pass and we could go and like film our video. And I forgot to put in my earplugs. 
oh, oh god shit. yeah and it was like insane yeah and you raced against uh uh cruz pedregon yeah he beat me <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't everyone like pissed off at you in the paddock yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I got called the. I was wearing a, a bunch of spandex like running gear, and I got called the other f word. Oh man, that's not very cool. Uh, <laughs> <No>. By some like seventy-year-old <laughs> like photographer guy. Oh, okay. Well, if, yep. photo- photographer. Yeah, photographers don't get us started. <laughs> <laughs> what your pictures don't even move, old man. <laughs> anyway, Adam. These cars of the 60s, they were longer, lower, faster, and lighter than their 50s predecessors, and faster was the key factor here. By the early 60s, speeds were getting close to 200 miles per hour, and in the middle of the decade, drivers were regularly beating 200 miles an hour. The limiting factors was not only mechanical, but a driver's willingness to take on the risk or perhaps ignore the risk altogether. Modern versions of these cars can go from 0 to 100 in a physics-defying 0.8 seconds. In the 60s era, these were front-engine dragsters, meaning the driver wearing a mesh face shield, goggles, and a helmet, kind of looking like a Star Wars bounty hunter, would only be a couple feet behind the supercharger that was pumping that highly flammable uh, nitromethane fuel air mix. Are funny cars today still front-engine? Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, all, all the top fuel cars. So there were there were funny cars, and then there were also like drag dragsters proper term is like the long skinny boys okay um and front engine dragsters is what i just described so the driver is sitting behind the engine uh the the rear axle you're sitting basically on the rear axle the where the differential is at in these cars especially back then they weren't really taking safety super seriously uh like you're like your balls are right next to that rear differential housing oh my god what if that uh, just explodes? Or your vagine. Or or that. Um, oh, there's a lot of women in drag racing. Not a lot back then. Uh, no, probably not. But now, now but today, there for sure. A lot of, if I understand correctly, there weren't a lot of women back then. Right. The, <laughs> the, the women really started showing up in the 80s. Yeah. That's a different well, podcast. Though. That's when the music started. So the women yeah, started when dancing they, out. When they started music, and then the women were like, "Hey, well, those guys yeah, are dancing now, that? so we'll we'll go over there." That sounds fun. So anyway, yeah. you're sitting on the axle basically, and then the tires, the rear wheels, and the tires, like you're in your little passenger compartment, you're crammed in there, and the tires are like right next to your head, basically, like you're just in yeah. it. And the limiting factor, really, what could, what what took them so long to break 200 wasn't the power itself because they had no problem making it. It was that the the tires could not really grip very well. So if you watch like 60s uh, vintage footage, a lot of the time, these guys are spinning the tires all the way down the track. Like wow. they're doing a burnout while going like 200 <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> oh my God. It's incredible. And then, uh, you know, safety and all that. There's some bad crashes. A lot of a lot of guys died, and that's when the dragsters, the skinny boys, uh, would went from front engine to rear engine. They have the engines behind the drivers now. They're a lot more aerodynamic. They're longer too, more stable. But things still happen. But it is a lot safer now. How how do you not go deaf or blind in this sport? Honestly, I ask myself that question all the time. Especially like I know a lot of older drag guys that were around in this era that were like, uh, you know at all these events and something about nitro keep these keeps these guys alive 
honestly. <laughs> pickled. <laughs> they, I honestly think it's something like 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 that. Do they have um, just that like leathery, wrinkly skin? Uh-huh. That, oh, oh yeah. Man. Yeah, like you can uh light a match off of their arm. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like smoked sausage skin. <laughs> <laughs> 60s drag racing also saw the advent of the funny car, which is, I think, my favorite dragster. In all seriousness, <laughs> uh, funny cars are essentially top fuel dragsters with fiberglass bodies that imitate the look of a car you'd see on the road, but with like cartoonish proportions. Also, the chassis is a lot shorter, um, which makes them a lot more difficult to drive. The funny car label comes from the fact that looking at them often results in a double take. <laughs> Uh, at glance, <laughs> at first glance, they might pass as a stock car, especially back then, back in the back, back in the day, the bodies weren't like the first funny cars weren't as exaggerated as they are today. Yeah. Um, oh, that's just a Toyota search Sur- sell right there. <laughs> oh, wait, oh, wait, what? that's a little bit funny. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like many drag racing innovations, funny cars got their start in Southern California with a trio of 1964 Dodge Chargers, okay? These cars were a huge hit with the fans because they're so freaking hard to drive down the track. At first, the governing body of drag racing, the National Hot Rod Association, or the NHRA, dismissed funny cars as a fad, but they would go on to endure, but they were endured to go on to become a permanent part of the drag racing scene and a big part of the success of Snake and Mongoose. Unlike NASCAR. What does a mongoose sound like? If James is snake <clears throat> and he does the snake. Like, <laughs> There's no way to know. There, we can't look this up. We have no idea. All right. So unlike NASCAR at the time, drag racing had no full-fledged national tour. Uh, there was no lucrative sponsorship deals either. Little to no TV coverage. It was just a diverse group of enthusiasts, many of them with a near maniacal need for speed, passionate about pushing their cars and their sport to the absolute limit. If you were one of the top names, you might get a few hundred bucks to race at a track, but money to keep the cars fueled and in working condition was often hard to come by. The fuel was expensive. By the mid-60s, nitromethane was $5 a gallon or about $40 a gallon in today's money. But still, like rally racing in Europe, drag racing was about as egalitarian as a motorsport could get, and like rally racing, it attracted a blue-collar crowd. The lack of money in the sport meant that something more important, glory, was the top prize to be won. Glory, glory, hallelujah. A popular- I can't pay my rent in glory. <laughs> a popular way to win that glory was match racing. Drivers going head-to-head in a series of contests, often spread out over multiple events. Kind of like pro wrestling, there were storylines and rivalries with races lasting only a few seconds. It helped to have some off-track drama to supplement the racing. And I think that's drag racing's, one of their main issues today. uh, No drama? uh, Well, it's just that, like, it's all, you gotta let the drivers talk, you know? I think that's the problem with pretty much every sport. I think so. I think yeah, so. that's, that's why I love I love Lewis Hamilton, but his answers are so like canned and polite, and I'm like, come on, just like talk shit about. Well, you just remember that like, he, he's he's a Brit, so that's gonna it's gonna be kind of polite like that anyway, you know? Yeah. Uh, but but, but like, yeah, I you're think, right. 
I think that's why like FD hasn't taken off. Like if they really wanted formula drift to be a national sport, they should just like lean into talking. If there's, if there's one motorsport I would, uh, I would compare to drag racing of the sixties today. It is formula drift because these, it's the same thing. Like there's not a lot of prize money in this, unless you're like one of the top guys like Forsberg or, uh, Vaughn, like mm-hmm. you're not getting rich off this, you know? Uh-uh. Um, so, you're, ba- you're basically trying to keep your car running all season. Exactly. And you're going after it because you love doing it. You know, you're, yeah. you're going to yeah. these events because you love getting sideways and you're just trying to get a shot into the top 16, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And there's like that's, two guys who you can look at and be like, if I freaking win enough, I could be like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a great comparison, James. Thank you, Nolan. You're welcome. You. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, in FD, they should like, like even though Vaughn and you know Forsberg are good friends, and like Vaughn goes and swims at Forsberg's house, and vice versa. <laughs> I've been swimming at both those guys' houses, FYI. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like they should like create like characters where they're just like like they hate each other. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, like the um, zebra and the lion. Yeah. Vaughn the zebra and Forsberg the lion. <laughs> I think that would help so much. Like, especially in this age of like, you know, freaking Logan, Logan and Jake Paul fighting pro fighter. Like, I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys saw Jake Paul's call out video to Conor McGregor, but that's like one of the reasons oh I love. Like, I used to be really into MMA. He's gonna get murdered. Yeah, but that's one of the reasons that like there's so much hype around these fights is that they just talk so much. <laughs> between the fights it's awesome the fight doesn't even the fight like matters but the fight lasts like a night yeah shit talking lasts months and it 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 just means so much more when you have these storylines you know anyway like even even if you hate the guy you're like oh i I hate this guy i'm tuning in to yeah watch him get his butt whooped you're still tuning in they're still getting that pay-per-view money that's right remember when he went who the (laughs) are you who the (laughs) are you who the f*** are you? I don't want to fight you in MMA. I want to do ballet. I want to do ballet. I don't want to do rally. I want to do ballet. So just to add to that drama, these guys would get these guys would have nicknames, right? So you got like Tommy, you got TV Tommy Ivo, yeah, who yeah. we've got to do. Like, this is what they got to do in FD. It's just yeah. like the WWE. Read some of these names, Nolan. TV Tommy, these... Tommy Imo, who or TV TV Tommy Ivo, who was an actor. Uh, we gotta we've gotta do a a um an episode on him. He he has like some of the craziest dragsters ever. Then you got the Greek uh Chris uh Cara Messinas. Um they only you know got, you as the Greek. The Greek, you got Big Daddy Don Garlitz. There's the zookeeper, the bounty hunter, gentleman Joe, Rowan Leung. I've met him. Uh he was the Hawaiian. Uh you got the Mangler. And then, not last but not least, you had Don the Snake Prudhomme and Tom Mongoose McEwen. By the late 60s, Snake and Mongoose, known to their mutters as Don Prudhomme and Tom McEwen, respectively, were at the height of the top fuel drag racing pyramid. Nobody knew it back then, but they were in a golden era of drag 
that was about to come crashing to an end. Lions Drag Strip would close in 1972, shut down after a persistent campaign from not-in-my-industrial-area neighbors and the city of Long Beach. This blow was followed the next year by the 1973 oil crisis. T-shirts available now at DonutMedia.com. What a natural plug, James. Thank you. (laughs) Which forced the drag racing world to reconsider their nitro-chugging ways. Although they shared a passion, Prudhoe McEwen couldn't be more different in temperament, background, and approach to life. When you hear their stories, it might be tempting to try and pick a bad guy and a good guy, someone to root for and someone to root against. But their story is so much more than that. If you pick a favorite, it might say more about you than either of these two drag racing pioneers. (gasps) We start with Don Prudhomme, better known as the Snake (laughs) (laughs) Before he was the Snake, of course, Don was just a kid. Born on April 6, 1941. By the time he was a teenager, he was, according to a fellow racer, a tall, skinny kid with slumped shoulders and a walk like he was carrying the weight of the world on his back. He had an older brother and three younger sisters, the pleasingly named Judy, Joyce, and Jeanette. Uh The Prudhomme family was solidly working class. Don's dad had a body shop, and Don loved to hang around and help him out. Just like Colin McRae, Don's first driving experience was handling the steering wheel in his dad's lap. Don's dad would use old Dodge clunkers as loader cars for his customers, and when they weren't in use, Don had free reign to drive them around the San Fernando Valley. Given all this youthful experience, Don remembers that by the time I got by the time I got my driver's license, I was whiz. I passed with flying <laughs> colors. While driving came easy, other parts of Don's childhood were more confusing. When Don was just a baby, his family had moved to Southern California from a Creole region of Louisiana. Like many Creole people, the family was mixed race. When they moved to the valley, the light-skinned family often passed as white, but not always. When Don came home from school and told his dad that a kid called him black, his dad said, you're not black, son, you're French Creole. That's what, okay, that's why I recognize the last name is because Paul Prudhomme, the, like, spice guy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's actually Don Prudhomme in a costume. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What? <laughs> That dude's videos are really good, though. He's, his voice is insane. I guarantee. I guarantee. <laughs> Don's parents understood that admitting to their mixed-race heritage would put them at a societal disadvantage in the California of the 1950s. But for Don, it was a constantly disorienting challenge to his identity. Kids would call him names, and he'd fight them, then wonder why certain names kept getting used. It stayed complex well into Don's adulthood, even into the 70s when Don was an established drag racer, His response to black fans asking if he was a brother was to answer, I'm everyone's brother. Like Wendell Scott in NASCAR, Don's ability to navigate the white world of racing was hard won, and it made him understandably reluctant to address racial issues until later in life. Interestingly enough, Don published a book in 2020 titled My Life Beyond the 1320, where he addresses these issues and more. So uh, pick up that book if you want to learn more about it. Maybe I'll get that from my dad. That's fun. Teenage Don would soon acquire a Mustang motorcycle, really more like a mini bike, using it to deliver newspapers and make some money. Eventually, he traded up to a 48 Mercury, and with that car, would travel to his new favorite place in the world, the drag strip. He'd often go with his girlfriend, Lynn, later to become his wife of many decades. Prudhomme didn't just want to watch, however. He wanted to race. Don bought a 1927 Ford T-Roadster and dropped a Buick V8 engine in it. Oh, yeah. Like many racers of the time, he joined a car club. His was the Burbank Road King. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. 
a fellow Yo, member. We of start the- at uh, Volcano <laughs> and then we, we go all the way to Islands. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that's still a club, and you know they meet up at Bobby's Big Boy. Oh, oh you gotta for go to sure. Bob's Big Boy, dude. Yeah. A fellow member of the Kings, Tommy Evo, nicknamed TV Tommy since he'd appeared in a few TV shows, was impressed enough with Prudhomme's driving to invite him to go on tour with him in 1960. They drove around the Midwest in a Cadillac limousine, towing a twin-engine race car. That's so cool. The experience with TV Tommy gave Don his dream. He wanted to get paid to race very fast in a straight line. If we ever do a donut tour, we should buy like a double-decker bus and just like make it. Nice. And tow low car around. Yeah. You have to. <laughs> yeah, it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> Don would get his first chance on that tour. They'd reach the drag strip outside of Chicago where Evo was slotted to race against Chris Caramessines. 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 He's Greek. I, you know, that's hard. And he is Greek, and he was actually known as the Greek. Yep. He was the number one ranked drag racer of the time. Evo was invited to a party the night before the event at the Greek's house and generously invited the teenage Prudhomme to tag along. Don was thrilled. The Greek was his idol, and now he was his guest. In Don's words, the Greek's wife met us at the door, looked at me, and said, Oh, isn't he cute? I turned three shades of red. I was so embarrassed. I was the youngest one in the party. There was a guy at a bar, and he had a holster with a gun in it. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing happened with the gun, but it gives you a window into the kind of wild 60s scene the teenager had just stepped into. Don stops the story there, so you'll have to let your imagination take over. And then the grill wouldn't start, and then the guy with the gun pulled it out and whipped it and shot and, the grill, and it started on fire. <laughs> he cooked all the steaks with the gun. <laughs> and then the woman said, ain't that cute. I think she just uh, said that about everything. <laughs> <laughs> the next day tommy tv upset the greek in front of his hometown ground in a victorious mood tommy asked his squire don if he wanted to turn in the top of the line dragster up until that point perdome had only driven st- modified street cars but he wasn't going to miss his chance perdome strapped into the car and had his first run one sufficiently fast enough not to embarrass himself in front of tommy and the greek when don got back to southern california he bought one of tommy tv's old dragsters and started to drive regularly, posting faster and faster times at the strip. That's pretty That's sweet, so man. That's cool. like if Eddie like went on a tour with like Chris Forsberg. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and if Forsberg or, was like, or like yeah. if like, uh, yeah, like Eddie. Eddie's like twenty-seven, but like if, <laughs> like Jimmy. Yeah. Not yeah. even Jimmy. Jimmy's like twenty-two, and like uh, Forsberg was like, "Hey, man, you want to do a lap?" <laughs> and he like drifted the car and then bought one of Forsberg's old cars. Yeah, which he could. He could buy all of them. He could buy Forsberg and put him in jail if he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Past Gas. Passion, drive, patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. We're talking superchargers, turbos, exhaust kits, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need for the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. In Perdome's recollection, being young helped. I was brave back then. I had to be crazy to drive the stuff we drove. We had no firewall in the car. You'd be sitting there and look down at your feet, and all you'd see would be the motor. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man. Oh, my and God. soon word spread of Prudhomme's talent and fearlessness. He got a fateful call from Keith Black, a boat engine builder who was getting into drag racing. When he turned up at Black's shop surrounded by disassembled engines and random parts, Black offered to supply Prudhomme with a car. You know, uh, my great uncle and my grandfather worked for Keith Black. That's so cool. Really? Down in Long That's, Beach. Yeah. Down in Long Beach. My grand, both of them actually raced boats uh, at the time. That's uh, so cool. Uncle Bob was a, a master engine builder. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a really cool side of the story, Nolan. Yeah. Soon, Prudhomme got another reputation, which was for being a bit of a loner in what was often a social sport. In his words, a lot of guys think you should be over shucking and driving all the time. I like to be alone at the races. I would just as soon sit in my truck and relax. I don't want to talk to people. If I'm beat, <laughs> I just as soon leave the track. Still, it was his collaboration with the young Asian Hawaiian car builder, Ronald Long, that provided him his breakthrough moment. Roland Leong, actually. Okay. Roland? Roland, yeah. It was his collaboration with the young Asian Hawaiian car builder, Roland Leong, that provided him his breakthrough moment. Uh, this was in the movie. <laughs> uh, Leong had built a car that he called the Hawaiian, and upon his first test drives at Lions, had crashed it. 
His driving career ended in one race, but Liang was a much better builder than a racer, and Prudhomme won the Winter Nationals at Pomona. In the, the Hawaiian? In the Hawaiian's car, yeah. Oh, very cool. Uh, because, and, well, in the movie, I don't know how much of this is artistic license, but uh, Liang was just basically like, I wrecked a car so my family won't let me drive the car anymore. <laughs> uh, I th- and like maybe not because of his safety, just because I think his family was paying for the cars. So like mm. they had, I think they had a race team and they were like, you can't drive the cars anymore, man. How sick would it be to have a race car with like that Hawaiian bread livery? Where it <laughs> oh, just yeah. looks, it looks like a pack of sweet rolls with that orange on it. <laughs> they I still bring right- out the Hawaiian at the, uh, at, at, various uh, nostalgia drag events here in California. Like there's the ones I've been to, uh, there's the the March meet at Famoso Raceway and then the Hot Rod Reunion also in Famoso over there in Bakersfield. And uh, there is a there's a current nostalgia car that has the Hawaiian paint scheme that it, it did back then. Uh, but they also bring the original car along as well. This thing is sick. Um, <sighs> oh man. I just saw those pictures you posted, James. Yeah, right. Damn, that charger. I live, I live right by the original Hawaiian roll place. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you go get fresh freshies over there? No. Okay, he had a funny car and a dragster. So, uh, yeah, they bring out the funny car. I've never seen the dragster, I don't think. The dragster version. Leong's driving career ended in one race, but Leong was a much better builder than a racer, and Prudhomme won the Winter Nationals at Pomona. The prominent win, combined with the savvy Hawaiian branding, meant that Prudhomme and Leong's car were soon in demand at drag strips across the country. Track announcers soon started calling Prudhomme Snake, in his recollection because I was tall and thin and quick (laughs) off the starting line. Just like a snake, his strike was fast and deadly. There's also another reason. His name was hard for track announcers to pronounce, and Snake rolled off the tongue a bit easier than Prudhomme's Creole surname. It's so easy to say Prudhomme. It's not hard at all. I actually I... mispronounced it in the beginning of this episode, <laughs> so I can't, I can't really say anything. <laughs> but yeah, like, oh, there goes Don Prudhomme. Easy. It's easy. a cool name, too. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you yeah. met someone named Don Prudhomme, like, okay, You'd that like, guy sounds like a ne- badass. Guy sounds like he announces baseball games. Look, it's not your last name that I'm struggling with. It's your first name. I'm just going to call you Snake. Yeah, Snake Perdome. <laughs> <laughs> That's easier to say than Snake Pliskin of Escape from New York <laughs> yeah, fame. Yeah, what kind of a hero name is that? It's Snake like, Pliskin. come up with a cooler last name, like Steel or something. Snake Steel. <laughs> Pliskin? Pliskin. Pliskin. <laughs> That's like a gym teacher's name. Oh, I got Mr. Pliskin at fourth oh, period. Fourth period. Oh, my God. He's going to make me run laps. <laughs> Pliskin. Pliskin. Mr. Had, Pliskin. Mr. Uh, Pliskin's going through a divorce, so we got to climb rope today. This is not This is not a funny story by any means, but uh, my elementary school PE teacher made a kid with asthma run till he died. What? Yeah. Not oh when God. I was there. This was like 15 years after I had left the elementary school. Oh my but God. Pretty, uh, not not a cool thing to do. No. Did he what have to f- go to the jail? Um, I don't think so. He should have to go to the jail. Yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's heartbreaking. Anyway. 
By itself, a snake is just an exhibit at the zoo, but (laughs) snake versus mongoose was an event. So how was the rivalry born? It was Tom McEwen who challenged the four years younger Don Perdome to a match race at the legendary Lions Drag Strip. He named himself Mongoose, (laughs) not from any affinity with the carnivorous creature, but from a knowledge that the nickname would act as a direct challenge to Perdome's snake persona. See, I'm a big I, fan I of giving yourself. This. I'm a big fan of giving yourself nicknames. I yeah, I struggle it. with it because mm-hmm. I I can't toe the line between like thinking I'm too cool with it or like not trying enough. Like you have to really strike a good balance there. I um, haven't really had any nick- nicknames in in my life. Um, the only nickname that kind of stuck was in football when I was in varsity. Uh, they knew I did the drag racing. They called you uh, thick neck. They called they called me crankshaft, which I thought was great. That's good. Uh, but that did not last past football, unfortunately. I I've tried to I mean I've had to like come up with handles and stuff, uh, especially when I was trying to be like a hip hop producer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just look back at all the like branding that I did, and it's just so cringy. Like I was Bazooka Joe for a long time. That's pretty which good. Was by itself, cool. But there's already a Bazooka Joe in the hip hop world, so I had to be BZUKA Joe. Oh yeah, and I was just like, ugh. That's like something you'd see on like a, a like a sticker, like a what is that called when like people like tag things with stickers? Oh, with markers? like the post office stickers. Yeah, yeah. That um, looks like a, that's like a graffiti name. Yeah. Um, I definitely I, wrote it like a graffiti name. Just real quick on on producer names, I was watching like. I don't know, maybe binging with Babish or something. And uh, whatever the channel was, was making Clams Casino. And I was like, that is a dope producer name. I bet no one's done that. It's really good. Yeah. And uh, there's a very prolific producer named Clams Casino. Oh, yeah. man. He's good. I thought, you were, ta- the- I thought you were referencing that. <laughs> no. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's a that guy's sick good. name. Before he was Mongoose, Tom McEwen was born on January 14th, 1937 in Pensacola, Florida. His father was a test pilot for the Navy as the United States prepared for battle, but he'd never make it to World War II. 18 months after Tom's birth, his father was killed in a testing crash, unfortunately. My mom lives in Pensacola. How is it over there? Beautiful. If you're in Pensacola listening to this podcast, uh, don't find my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, that would be the first tragedy that would shape Tom's destiny, but it was far from the last. Determined to start over, Tom's mother moved to the land of new beginnings, Southern California, specifically the port town and future drag racing mecca of Long Beach. Long Beach was considered a rural place in those days, and while his future rival Don Perdome rode on his Mustang motorcycle, Tom rode real-life horses. From ponies, he soon graduated to drag racing, running his first sprint at the tender age of 15, debuting in his mom's 53 Oldsmobile at the Santa Ana drag strip in Irvine. His mom was unaware of the field trip. Dang, they had a drag strip in Irvine? That's pretty sick. Uh, His mom was unaware of the field trip, which was made while she was out of town. Classic. Take Take the mom's car to the drag strip. Move. He was always known for driving a huge variety of cars. His entry in the Motorsports Hall of Fame goes so far as to say, quote, there's probably no man in drag racing history who has driven more different cars than Tom McEwen. If variety is a spice of life, Tom McEwen was an entire dang spice rack. Ayo! 
AOC probably slides out on little uh, rollers. One of those cool kind of spice racks, not just one in your cabinet. Yeah. I always I wanted one of those growing up. Don't you have one? You've got like a Velcro spice rack, don't you? Oh, I made a spice rack, but I I'm talking about those like the corner ones that roll yeah. out. Oh, those, those are, are so dope. cool. Tom McEwen, Tom McEwen put those flavors to good use. Unlike Prudhomme, McEwen was outgoing and put more of an emphasis on the show. In his own words, quote, a big following and good performance is better for sponsors than big wins and no following. I can think of a few competitors across motorsports that this applies to. I'm not going to yeah. call anyone out. Uh, this guy would have been a great Twitch streamer, I, I feel. In his early days, McEwen raced stock cars, but as top fuel cars gained in popularity, Tom, along with many other young drivers, was drawn to the more powerful custom-built racers. In the late 50s, concerned about safety, the NHRA actually took the unusual step of banning nitro in its dragsters. What? They said, only <laughs> use nitro. <Yeah>. nitro. <laughs> They're listening to, to Dom too much. Like, how do you miss the mark so hard with that line? That was the <laughs> it's hardest. So weird. That was like the hardest I think I've ever laughed on video. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. If you haven't, uh, it's like you, th that. Uh, so many reasons. Like, which one is that from? Four. Yeah, that's from yeah. four. Yeah, the one where Letty has amnesia, or the one yeah. where she. We no, think Letty she's died dead. in that one. She's yeah, not in so it. we th so we Dude, think Letty's spoilers. Dead. Yeah, it's just like so weird. Such a weird line and also just like a misunderstanding of like what car people think. It's like yeah. nitromethane is sick. It's crazy that no one on set was like, hey, you know, that's actually not. We shouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, that's actually just very Actually, weird. if you go to a drag strip, uh, the nitro drivers are like the only ones that people really care about. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. they're, they're the they're the rock stars because nitromethane is so freaking dangerous. That's so funny. Anyway, if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, watch this most recent uh, D-list, and you will know. Uh, okay. It debuted right before this episode came out on Friday, Whoa. so check it out. Yeah. Isn't Damn, dude, that you, prescient? You, you worked that calendar like a, like a spatula. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Southern California was home to a few drag strips that defied that ruling, running so-called outlaw tracks that allowed nitromethane, baby. Long Beach was among these tracks, surprisingly, and the danger was evident. On October 22nd of 1960, a title-winning drag racer known as Leonard Harris was killed testing a car. Harris was on one of the few sponsored teams of the era, Albertson Oldsmobile, and un uncomfortably, his death meant a major opportunity for Tom McEwen. Harris's spot was open on the Oldsmobile team. Well, his first error was getting his car sponsored by a grocery store. Yep. <laughs> we can cut that. That was bad. <laughs> I, I thought that too when I was reading it. Albertson. It might actually be connected to Albertson's. Really? I think Albertsons is a is a California thing. No. So you might be right. Yeah. They have Albertsons in Florida too. Well I don't know what the hell I, I was speculating. At first, McEwen struggled with the hulking front engine Oldsmobile, whose massive power required much more finesse than he was used to. Tom recalled that quote, you had to drive that Oldsmobile by slipping the clutch and using the brake to keep the tires from smoking because it had so much power. Wow. 
McEwen wouldn't have to struggle for long, however, because as we mentioned, the 60s brought along huge changes in the form of lightweight cars. Tom's Oldsmobile car had a front chassis or had a front engine chassis that was little more than a frame and a streamlined uh, fin-like protrusion above the driver's compartment above Tom McEwen's head, which soon earned the car the nickname the shark. This thing is sick. Like he's sitting behind the rear wheels. Yeah, so that, that's what I'm talking about with those front engine dragsters. Yeah. Uh, so his legs, so like in that in that passenger compartment right there, like his feet are in front of the wheels right there. That's where the gas pedal's at and stuff. Yeah. But they were really experimenting with aerodynamics at that time as well. Uh, that, you know, nowadays, a lot of these nostalgia front engine cars don't really bother with these kind of more advanced fiberglass uh, uh, compartments. They just have like a, just a fiberglass surrounding the driver's compartment. Nothing really over the tube chassis over the head or anything like that because it doesn't really make too much of a difference. Um, but yeah, these things have pretty short wheelbases and they are a handful to drive, especially in that nitro class. But what about McEwen's own nickname, the Mongoose? McEwen had watched Prudhomme gain prominence behind the wheel of the Hawaiian, becoming famous as the snake. Seeing the effectiveness of those branding efforts, McEwen dubbed himself Mongoose, which if you remember from the Jungle Book, is the natural born killer of snakes. By the way, even as the rivalry grew, McEwen himself always referred to it as Mongoose versus Snake. He liked his name better in the front. That's a big, in the movie, that's a big thing they fight over all the time. It just sounds better to say Snake versus Mongoose. Way better. Mongoose Way better. versus Snake. You're putting too many syllables in the front. You're front loading those syllables. You gotta put, you gotta, you gotta do the opposite. Yeah, also... The snake won a bunch. He won the Winter <laughs> Nationals like four, ti- four times in a row. And then I think McCune only won it once. Marketing, baby. It's uh, all about branding. Get yeah, that brand branding guy. He, he was basically like his manager that also raced against him. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that. The site for the first round of Snake and Mongoose would be McEwen's home track, the Lions drag strip that had once been managed by Mickey Thompson himself. The sequence of lights was amber, then dark, then green. McEwen had raced the track so many times that he had an instinct for when the green light would turn on versus Prudhomme, who actually had to see it. He would, uh, McEwen would, uh, back then there was just like a guy, is it still this way, Nolan, where there's just like a guy in the middle, uh, right by the tree with an actual switch? No, not anymore. I mean nowadays so let's talk about the christmas tree real quick so drag racing of course is you know both cars start the start start at the start line go to the finish line whoever gets there first wins um with heads up drag racing so you have a you have the christmas tree i'm not sure if back then they had the stage and pre-stage lights if you can remember from the movie james i'm not sure what are those so those are the little so you stage the car so you're in like it just like make sure you're as close to the starting line as possible. It's just a more more reliable way of doing it instead of like having someone mm-hmm. tell you when to stop, basically. Yeah. Um so you stage and then pre or you pre-stage, then you stage, and then w- once both drivers are are staged, uh that's when those amber lights come on. And nowadays uh-huh. it's randomized. So you can't predict when they're gonna come on. So oh. both neither drivers have an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um that's cool. Yeah, so it's randomized when those amber lights are going to come on, and then it goes green. The trick, though, is to not go on green. You got to go, go 
when those right lights before green when those lights come off it's like a weird you got to feel it out uh yeah. when those lights come off you can hit the you hit the gas pedal and by the time your car starts reacting then the green will the light will have been green and you'll have the advantage yeah. So McEwen apparently would watch. So there used to be a guy standing right by the tree, like in between the two uh -huh. racers. And he would watch and he the was guy. just like a, a dude with a switch, like a little box light <laughs> switch thing. And McEwen would watch, like he, he would talk about uh, how good he was at like reading body language. <laughs> and, and, and like, like all, like, uh, especially at uh, Lions, but like he, especially at Lions, he like knew the guy's body language and like his quirks. Yeah. And so like Weird. he could, uh, he would know before the guy would switch. I love how confident Tom McEwen is. Tom McEwen is, uh, excuse the pun. He's a snake oil. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story. But first a word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So McEwen had raced the track so many times that he had an instinct for when the green light would turn on versus Prudhomme, who actually had to see it. After Prudhomme learned the trick for the first after the first round, he practiced the timing while they watched the other drivers, but it wasn't enough. Round one of the in round one of the rivalry, the mongoose killed the snake. It's Ooh. so funny that they teed up this rivalry before they had even raced. <laughs> like yeah. it's so such a show. Dude, it's branding, man. It's all marketing. But the rivalry was real, Joe. Both men wanted to win more than anything else. But they also quickly realized that a rivalry could turn into a partnership. In 1969, McCune and Perdome teamed up to form Wildlife Racing <laughs> oh Team. My, oh my God. So sick. So sick. It would be cooler if they partied. You know, it's like, yeah, we're called Snake and Mongoose. Those things are wildlife, but also we live this wildlife. <laughs> we're going on. <laughs> we're going to Ozfest. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna go. Uh, I got backstage patches for stained. <laughs> Yo, dude, we're gonna be hanging out with uh, Crazy Town later. If you want to come by, dude, Tila yeah. Tequila's coming over from the Family Values tour. She wants to party. <laughs> you guys are always living that wild life. Shifty uh, Skidmore is coming. <laughs> I was in jail with a guy who looked just like him. <laughs> Seriously, branding was everywhere with the two drivers even sporting matching t-shirts with cartoons of their animals plastered across the front. These are cool. I want to get one. Uh, Shifty Shell McEwen, Shock. Shifty Shell Shock. I'm sorry. Not Shifty Shell Shock. What a <laughs> white guy trying to sound tough name. <laughs> Name's Seth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Continue. McCune had more than racing in mind when he thought about snake versus mongoose, or as he liked to refer to it, mongoose versus snake. He saw dollar <laughs> signs around the dueling animals. One day, he walked into Prudhomme's shop and told him, I'm going to Mattel Toy Company to see if they want to sponsor us. Prudhomme, in his words, I thought he was nuts. The balls he had, I was still shy kid, and I thought 
they'd throw him out on his ear. But he had the balls to do it. There's no way you're going to walk into that Barbie factory and say, hey, I want a toy. Dude, I want these Snake and Mongoose shirts. These are sick. Yeah. McCune's balls soon turned into dollar bills. (laughs) (laughs) As Mattel said yes to the partnership, manufacturing a series of 164 size replicas of Snake and Mongoose's funny cars. That's so cool. The deal extended to the big boy cars too, with Hot Wheels plastering their iconic fiery logo on Perdome and McCune's real life cars as well. That's so tight. It was the first non-automotive sponsorship in drag racing history, and it changed the perception of the sport for both hardcore drag racing diehards and the general public, who suddenly knew about Snake and Mongoose the same way we know about Drake and Pusha T. Oh, man. Pusha T murdered Drake. Yeah. Not even close. The rivalry (laughs) was... I guess Drake will have to dry his tears with all of his money. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Pusha T's lame. Like, Pusha T's like drug dealer cosplay. Like, it's like you've been famous since you were a teenager. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, that's every, every rapper has their like character that they play, mm-hmm. but Pusha T is like biting with his lyrics. And just like when I heard that, I was like, Drake's song is all right. And it's, mm-hmm. it's got some good disses. Pusha T like is going for. Drake's bones. He literally like he wants to infect his bones. Yeah. No, I mean, that was like so just it was unreal. If you you know, uh, if you guys are unfamiliar, check out the, yeah, the I story of I just a think d- it's I just think it's lame. I think like Drake knows who he is. He's like, Yeah, I used to like I was a child actor and now I'm the biggest entertainer in the world. And it's like So why would like it's why would he punch down is the thing. Like he was asking for it. Yeah. I think he's Kim Kardashian too. That's why Kanye doesn't like him. (laughs) The rivalry was a huge hit and not just with the kids. A pair of brothers once showed up for a meet and greet, one with a snake tattoo on their arm and the other with a mongoose tattoo. Wow, mongoose, huh? Yeah. They asked (laughs) McEwen and Prudhomme to sign underneath their animals, then promptly headed to the tattoo parlor to get the autographs inked on permanently. This is weird. Uh... It, it's a weird feeling. There's a few people with lightning tattoos. There's a at least one, two. I've seen two Mo Power baby tattoos, and then one a couple of donut tattoos. And it's like, huh? It's, <laughs> it's um, I think it's cool. It's cool. It. I mean, it's, look. It's yeah. It's 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 awesome to like have something that like we made that people love so much that they would do that. Um. Mm-hmm. It's just also, it's also just strange. It's a strange feeling. It's like, are you sure? <laughs> I think it's like because you, because we made it, we're like, it's not that cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's but, just a joke. I guess people. I like that people think it's cool. I think, I, yeah. For the next few years, Snake and Mongoose had a symbiotic relationship, regularly competing in match races for enthusiastic crowds, including kids who were getting the chance to see their toys brought to life. Like Toy Story, but with nitromethane. Ooh. Let's Things see that. soured somewhat in 1973. They made it. It's called Cars. Things soured somewhat in 1973 when Carefree Gum, a major sponsor of the wildlife team, dropped out. McEwen left the team and got sponsored by the U.S. Navy, a natural Whoa. partnership given his dad's 
given his dad's service in the military branch. Giving new meaning to Navy, accelerate your life. <laughs> when Snake learned of this, he went out and got a sponsorship from the U.S. Army without informing Mongoose. Whoa. Now the rivals had sponsors who themselves were legendary rivals. <laughs> if you watch college football, you know that Army versus Navy is always one of the most hype games of the season. They bring out special uniforms just for it. Navy's this year is like waves. Oh, nice. It's That's sick. How wavy is that? It's is it like wavy. a Japanese uh, traditional wave or is it like a normal wave? No, it's like... Like if you were on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean during a storm and you looked straight down. Oh, I like that. It's cool. Like the creepiest kind of waves. Oh, yeah, I see it. Cool. Deep water yeah. waves, baby. Deep water waves. Rough ocean. You don't, don't want to see that. You don't want to know about that. You don't want to know about that. Snake you better hope that basketball doesn't roll off the side of the carrier. <laughs> <laughs> Snake also had the reputation for having a hot temper. Unusual for such a cold-blooded animal. Ooh. When his mechanic forgot to replace the filter plug while changing the oil before a race, Snake was humiliated when after he was pushed to the line, he tried to pull a burnout and a spume of oil flew from his engine, soaking the driver inside his car. That shit was hot. I oh, bet. yeah. Yeah. He still wanted to race, waving his guy over to try and find the plug. If I could, I would have stuffed the mechanic's hand down the oil pipe. Use it as a plug. <laughs> Perdomo recalled, <laughs> the plug or a hand was nowhere to be found, and Snake tried to get out of his car, ready to swing in his mechanic in retaliation for the costly error. The only problem was that the snake was so slick with oil, he couldn't wriggle out of his cockpit. Uh -huh. Every time he got a little bit out, He'd slide right back in, all the while screaming at his mechanic, who by now doubled over, not from a blow from Snake, but with laughter. This guy's a dweeb, a jerk. <laughs> He's like, you messed up. You got hot oil all over your boss. And now you're laughing at him? Meanwhile, in 1974, a chance business deal would bring the Kuhn and Prudhomme an unexpected financial boom. A man named Skip Hess had a bicycle company called BMX Products. He wanted to increase his reach by creating a low-cost brand that would focus on selling bikes and scooters to kids. And he thought the Mongoose name would be perfect. He was right. The company soon turned into a billion-dollar brand that's still sold at Walmart today. And chances are, if you were a kid of the 90s, you or one of your friends had a Mongoose. My buddy Bergdorf had a Mongoose. Bergdorf. My had a Mongoose. I had a Dino. Uh, what, uh, which BMX company did Matt Hoffman ride for? Hoffman Bikes. Hoffman. I had a Hoffman <laughs> too. Do you used to BMX? Yeah. Can you, do you think you can still bunny hop? Yeah. I've never seen you on a skateboard. I've never seen you on a BMX bike. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> My first like serious bike. Like I had a Huffy when I was a kid. I had two Huffies and then... I had a red line, which I was super proud of. I love that thing. Love my red line. I was never good enough at either of those things, Joe, to like translate into adulthood. Well, the weirdest thing is I'm, I might be buying a car from a guy that sold James his first car in LA. Uh, <laughs> and he said that uh, when like James went to buy his first car, his girlfriend said that he's been skateboarding everywhere. And I was like, I've never seen him skateboard. 
let alone use it for transportation. Oh, I used to skateboard from like Century City to um, Wilshire and Western uh, what? train station almost every day. That's crazy. Yeah. You and Joe Hartzler were like the <laughs> road warriors. Yeah. While their match races made them a household name, within official National Hot Rod Association events, the Snake versus Mongoose rivalry was more of a side story. The annual NHRA contest held at Lucas Oil Raceway in Indianapolis was typically a field of the top 16 cars competing in head-to-head contests until a winner was crowned. In 1967, yeah, since uh, there's only two guys at a time, it's like a, it's like a bracket at a drag event. In 1967, the NHRA finally relented to the popularity of the funny cars and added a second category for them. Of these races, Don won the main category in 69 and 70, as well as 73, 74, 77, and 89 in the funny cars. That's a dry spell right there. (laughs) You know it, brother. Yeah, can you imagine, like, staying in it for 12 years of not doing well? Uh, a lot of these guys do that. They're in it for a long time. Drag drag guys, they can be Not like all about John winning, James. John yes, Force was like into his seventies, I think, racing. Um, maybe. Let's see here. No, nah, he uh, retired. Into his sixties. <laughs> into his sixties. On the other hand, up until nineteen seventy eight, Mongoose, despite all of his fame, still hadn't won an NHRA title. Days before the event in Indianapolis that year, his participation actually seemed doubtful. Tom's 14-year-old son, Jamie, had just died after a battle with leukemia, unfortunately. Although in previous years, Tom and Don had gone for months or even years without much contact, they'd been in touch that year, with Don keeping tabs on Jamie's condition throughout the season. Despite his grief, or perhaps because of it, Tom raced better than he ever had before in the funny car division at the Nationals. Snake was also in top form. And as the heats went on, both drivers won race after race, getting closer to each other in the bracket. Finally, it was down to two cars, and unbelievably, it was Snake versus Mongoose in the finals. Nice. They should make a movie about this. <laughs> Don set his sympathy for Tom McEwen aside. In his words, quote, I've never thrown a race in my life. Going all out to win with all the prestige and history and money that it represented was just part of what we did. And yeah, Tom and I spent a lot of time together, what with his son being really sick and so forth, but we also battled a lot on the circuit. Although the colorful names were straight out of pro wrestling, unlike the WWE, drag racing wasn't staged. Uh? A, a fact that was important to a competitor as fierce as Don. He emphasized that, quote, When we came to town to race, it wasn't just to put on a show, it was to beat one another. And I think that the fans appreciated that. They knew that with us, it was for keeps. If it was for keeps at a small town drag strip, it was certainly the same standard at the biggest stage of the National Hot Rod Association, the final race at Indy. The Christmas tree went green. Snake was fast, and as a benefit of dominating the event to that point, he also had the faster lane too. He had lane choice, but the mongoose was faster. He won his first and only NHRA U.S. national title just a week after his son's death. Oh, man. The, the far lane was faster that day. That's what it was in the movie. Far lane faster that day. When you have a loved one die, it just like pushes you into this crazy Zen state. I feel like, like you're just trying to put it out of your head maybe. And it like, uh, I heard that the night that 
Chris Paul's dad or grandpa was murdered when he was in high school, he scored like 60 points in his in his basketball game. Oh my god. Perdome's usual move after a race was to retreat into solitude, but after that loss, he got out of his funny car and made a beeline straight for Tom's car. With the bodywork up and Tom still in the seat, there's a video of Perdome leaning under the fiberglass body and sharing words with McEwen. It's unclear what was said, but the simple act of congratulating and consoling his greatest rival spoke volumes. When McEwen finally got out of his car, he clearly couldn't speak, and as his crew embraced him, Countless complex emotions played across his typically carefree face. Perdome walked off quickly, leaving the man to his victory and his sorrow. But the connection had been there for all to see. In 2018, Tom McEwen passed away at the age of 81. Countless drivers and people Tom had interacted with over the years spoke out about the greatness of the mongoose, who had lived life to the fullest and brought notoriety, money, but most importantly, fun to drag racing. But it was his old rival and partner, Don Perdome's words, that probably had the most impact. In the end, it wasn't the rivalry that Don remembered, but the friendship. These were Don's words on his relationship with Tom. Quote, We'd argue like cats and dogs, but when it came time to stick up for each other, if someone had said something bad about the other one, we were ready to fight for each other. It's the end of an era. He was a guy who did so much for drag racing, showed so many people how to get sponsorship and bring them into NHRA. I hope it goes into the history books that he was the guy who did that. I'm going to deeply miss him. It's a sad day. We've all had someone in life who challenges us, who sometimes makes us mad, but always makes us better, who loves the same stuff as we do, but just has a different perspective on it. A perspective that in time we realize has added a whole new dimension to our own lives. A little tension, a little competition, and a ton of love and respect is what makes friendly rivalries like that of Don Perdome and Tom McEwen, Snake and Mongoose, truly great. So, if you haven't already found them, go out there and find the snake to your mongoose, the mongoose to your snake. Maybe if your exploits are great enough, a bird will sing of your exploits like in the Jungle Book. Maybe we'll make a past gas episode with your name on it. You see this a lot. Like, we saw it with, like, Prost and Senna. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think at a certain point when you're just so good at something, like, you're at the top of this, like, mountain kind of alone. And if someone else is up there with you, you have more in common with this person that you're competing with than almost anybody else in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and you kind of, like, it feels like, they kind of hate it because they're a lot of times alphas and they like hate to share the spotlight, but they also need that person to push them beyond their limits. Yeah. Yeah. Like they wouldn't be as good if it weren't for sure for that person. Hmm. To that end, what is the Cobra's natural rival? Oh, the mongoose. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Mongoose fights all snakes. Anyway, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I certainly learned a lot about uh, drag racing history. I hear about this stuff, okay, like every time I go home, <laughs> every time I go to Thanksgiving, uh, I hear about this this scene pretty much nonstop. Um, so it's cool to be able to I share that. I want to go to Thanksgiving with your family. I think it'd be yeah, really fun. Too. And polite. You, feel, you seem like you have a polite family. I'd lo- we'd love to have you. Um, I don't know, I love, I love doing this show. I say that every week, but... Um, just thanks, thanks for the opportunity to let us regale you with stories like this one. If you like listening to this podcast, do us a favor and tell a friend who likes to hear some car history stuff and a whole lot of bull. 
<laughs> yeah. Sorry yeah. for the people who really you're... love the car history stuff and don't really care for the banter. We're going to keep doing it, so I'm apologizing for future episodes. <laughs> Bants and bits. Yeah, if you have a friend who kind of likes cars but also knows who Shifty Shellshock is, <laughs> this is the show for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, car stuff and lots of new metal references. <laughs> As always, subscribe to the channel. Follow us at Donut Media. Follow the boys at James Humphrey and Joe G. Weber. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes if you'd like. Uh, in the meantime, till next time, be kind. I love you. Keep it juiced. Keep it juiced. Fired up. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.